0: Today is an episode of TSP Rewind. Today we are rewinding back. Episode 732, Leadership and Its Role for American Survival, was originally published on August the 25th, 2011. And just so y'all know, I am not doing this today because there's anything really wrong. We just had some technical issues and some things go on that, uh, if I got a show out today, it would have become out really late. And it would not have been very good. So we'll go ahead and uh, do a rewind today. I'll be back tomorrow with a, with a, with a great interview for you guys. And, uh, I think right now, right now we really do need more leadership in the country and we need that leader to leadership to come from within. It must be from us in our lives, for our families, along the lines of a lot of things that we talked about in yesterday's episode about the COVID craziness and standing up for your kids and standing up for yourself. That really isn't exactly where this was coming from, but leadership is leadership. A long time ago, I interviewed an author on this show named James Howard Kunstler, and he is much more of the kind of left-leaning side of things than I am, and I don't think he thought he'd get along really well with us here at TSP, but he really did, and, and he and I had a great conversation with each other. And I said something, like, he actually got me to say it. He said something, and I, you know, you say something back. But it really did hit him, and it really falls in line with, with what this episode's about. He was talking about leadership and the failure of leadership, and I said, you know, I think that the greatest failure of leadership in America is not... In Congress, it's not the president. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's 2021 now. And you know, failure of leadership of the president in the middle. Like now it kind of looks like maybe I was wrong, but it really isn't. It's still the same thing. The greatest failure of leadership in this country was and remains the failure of leadership at the individual level. It's the failure of the average American to be a leader in their own life for themselves and for their families and for their communities. We have outsourced our leadership. To politicians. Politicians can't lead. They're supposed to cede to the administration of laws. And that's supposed to be for the protection of individual rights before anything else. So that's not working out. But it's not working out because we're not leading. Because we're letting somebody else do it. We're letting somebody else educate our children. We're letting somebody else decide what's right for us. And then we're defending the decision somebody else made. And, and both sides do this. If you start leading at the individual level and start inspiring others to do the same, just maybe we can push back. With that in mind, let's rewind back. Again, Episode 732, Leadership and Its Role for American Survival, originally published all the way back August twenty-fifth, 2011. Uh, With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Um, Again, I'm talking about personal leadership here today. I'm talking about you leading your family. And I'm talking about a lot about the male role of leadership because I feel it's the one that suffered more. Um, as females have become empowered, males have become disempowered, and it's not the female's fault. I don't want anybody to think today that I'm putting women down or putting them into a subservient role in any way, shape, or form, but the reality is... The, the radical elements of, of feminism have caused a lot of damage to male leadership. Uh, the divorce rate climbing to to highest levels in, in any time in recorded history has done a lot to damage this. Political correctness has done a lot to damage this. Before we go any deeper there, um, I want to talk about why this is a survival topic. If you t- think about the, the, the typical family, if we put them into a crisis situation, The most important thing at that point is that there's leadership in the family and that there's a hierarchy of leadership in case one of the members who was going to be depended on is not there so that someone else steps up and immediately takes over that role and does what needs to be done even when it seems like uh, a very tough decision to make. We need to do this now. We need to do it this way, and this is what we're going to do, and here we go. Well, that can't happen if there's not natural leadership in the family. And I'm, you know, I I might offend a few people today, but I'm going to say this flat out straight from the beginning. If you are a a typical family, a man, a woman, and kids, you, the man, are responsible to be the primary leader in the family. Now that might be 50.01% of uh, the authority, but you do have a role to play at the head of the family. And here's why. And I learned this from the military. I really, I don't think I would have really got this lesson without serving in the military for the few years that I did. In every situation, if there is to be an effective unit, there must be a leader. That leader is not there because they are smarter than everybody else, they are better than everybody else. It's simply because there must be one. There must be a point where when everybody's input has been taken, everybody's thought, thoughts have been heard, and that might happen in 30 seconds or 30 hours depending on the decision and what's going on around you. There must be somebody that finally can say, you know what, no more, this is where we're going. And in a family, sometimes due to the nature uh, and subject matter expertise of what's going on and who's going to actually have to do the work on the other side of it, that sometimes may be the, be the, the mom, the, the woman. But when it comes down to it cut and dry and, it is, and we're at a stalemate, someone has to be willing to step up and do that. And if a man's not willing to do that, he's not leading his family. Part of why I felt called to do this episode is I've gotten quite a few emails in the last few months from people in my audience, uh, mostly from men, who have talked about how messed up their, their, their situation is and how they're in debt, how they have problems, how the family you know almost went through a divorce or did go through a divorce, And I realize that I've been doing this talk over and over again in pieces, parts, for the last 730 episodes because I'm hearing the one most important thing that can come out of these people when they email me their problem and ask me to help them figure out a solution. I know it's my fault that I didn't step up and lead my family the way that I should have, and I failed there, but I'm willing to fix it now. The first time I got an email with that, it hit me in the face like a baseball bat, and I understood how important the stuff we talk about here is. And as I've gotten more and more and more of them, uh, it's had deeper and deeper impacts into me personally to know that people are hearing the real message here. This is a survival topic because our culture depends on Leadership. We, we have to have leadership in this country, or we're not going to have our culture. We are not going to have our nation as we know it, and we are not going to have our family unit as we know it. And this is not political, right? I don't care if two gay people get married. So when I talk about the survival of the family unit, I'm not trying to make this political at all. I'm saying that the majority of people in America are going to be people that want to eventually be married and have a couple kids, and that is the traditional family unit. And if that offends somebody tough, I'm doing everything I can to not be offensive here uh, within reason and with what I think is reasonable. That is the typical family. That is what the modern family is supposed to look like. And generally it doesn't anymore. And I'm not putting you down if you're a single mom or a single dad. Um, there are times when people can't stay together. There are times when things are unreconcilable. There are times when one person in a relationship is broken to the point of not being able to be fixed, and if everybody else stays with that person, they're going to become broken too. There are times when one side of the the equation doesn't want to be fixed. There are so many situations where this is the inevitable result, that there must be a separation, but it's not 50 to 60%. It's not the number that actually do it. And I think the biggest reason that families fail, and then that transcends into our communities, into our cities, into our counties, into our, our state and federal governments, and it begins to permeate society at every level, is because people don't lead As I was thinking about this today, I wanted to make sure I was very clear with you that I'm not trying to talk about our vaulted elected officials or or military commanders or even your boss at work. No, today I'm talking about personal, family, and general community leadership. That means I'm talking about you. When I was putting it together, I started thinking back to a book I uh, actually listened to because I got the audio one really cheap at half-price books written by Lee Iacocca. The book was called Where Have All the Leaders Gone?, and when I, when I listened to that book, the most valuable thing I took out of it was how Fidel Castro in Cuba has been trying to basically cut a deal with, uh, with our government for, for, for years. Go, I mean, going back into the early 90s saying, look, man, we screwed a lot of stuff. As soon as the Soviet Union fell and they were not propped up by them anymore, they basically said, yeah, we screwed a lot. We're willing to work with you. And our government basically gave them the bare hand and said, we're not interested in even talking to you. You know, and he said, "Well, what do I need to do?" No, I don't care, right? So that, that was all because the rest of the book was all about how we need a real leader in the White House again, and going through the political candidates at the time. And at the time, we were talking, uh, we're talking about Bush's reelection. Uh, this is about the time this book came out, so I think Bush was sitting as president, or maybe it was. Actually, no, it's so so old. It was leading up to the election where Bush became president. So the two leading candidates at the time I was listening to this book were Bush and Gore. Uh, and the book was written, I think, before that. Maybe it was, maybe it was Bush's reelection and it was Kerry. I don't remember exactly, but it's a while ago, you get the point. But when I got that book, I didn't really, you know, since I got it for like five bucks for an audio book, I didn't really read the stuff. And I was hoping it was going to be more about where has leadership gone in America, period. And my question now is, where have all the leaders gone? in the average American male, and to a slightly lesser degree, the average American female. I think women are doing a better job of being leaders in their families and in their homes and in their communities today than men, and shame on us. Not because they're doing a good job, because us as men, we're not doing enough. They shouldn't be doing it by themselves. Where's our leadership in our home? Where's the leadership in our neighborhoods? Where is it at the ground level? You know, at one time, folks, the American man was the epitome of leadership, standing at the front of his family, willing to make any sacrifice, and more importantly, willing to make any tough decision. This has been largely replaced with an attitude of whatever. So what I want to talk about today is how we fix it and what the payoff is if we do. I want to talk a little bit about the whatever principle, though. You know, men used to actually pay attention to what was going on in their home and when a woman asked them something, they thought about it and they thought about how it would affect the family and the household and they gave the best answer they could. I mean, if it was the color of paint on the wall, maybe the guy said whatever, but whatever's become a catch-all today. Look, I just got to go to work and take care of it and maybe get some time with my buddies and I play with the kids when I can. And You just handle the house, forgetting that the woman now is doing the same thing and and running a job and, and a career and everything else too. That whatever has been a real problem, but what is the genesis of this? All right, we're going to have to take responsibility for it, but we also have to look at the genesis of it so we understand where it comes from and so we understand what we're battling as we rebuild the American male leadership. Okay, and To me, it all started up when we had this whole equal rights movement and equal rights for everybody in every race and every society and every sex, and that's great, and I don't have any problem with it. But somewhere along the way, the, the word equal rights was confused and convoluted and inter, interlaced with the concept of equal ability. That anything I can do, a woman can do. And anything a woman can do, a man can do. And anything a little kid can do, and I mean, it's just stupid. We do not have equal ability as human beings. If we did, I could play basketball with Michael Jordan and hold my own. I cannot. Why? Because he has a greater athletic ability than I do. And whether we like it or not, in general, if we line up a hundred men and a hundred women, the hundred men will have greater athletic ability. That's why there are no women in the NFL. Okay? That's why there are no women in Major League Baseball. That's why they have their own leagues. It's not like when we used to have like a colored league. That was discrimination. Men and women have differences. And as we've lost the concept that that's the case and that that's okay and that's the way that we're designed, because trust me men, there's a lot of things they're better at than us. The average female has far more tolerance for pain than the average male. It's built into them because they have to do something called childbirth. The whole process for men of making a baby is pleasurable. Okay? We get all the good. Right? We have to clean, clean up and do stuff like that once the kid's around and all. But the enduring of the pregnancy and the birth is all on the back of the woman. So just because a woman is weaker in general in some instances doesn't mean she's the weaker sex. right? So this is not about a delineation that classifies people based on their sex into something of lesser or more. This is about an acknowledgement of the general differences. And as we have had these, these movements toward equal rights and we've taken and attached to them equal ability... Then we moved into the realm of political fricking correctness, and that really screwed everything up. Not only would we not acknowledge the difference, but anybody that says anything that indicates that the difference is there is to be ridiculed and ostracized, counseled in the workplace, counseled in the school, sent home to mommy with a note, or whatever. This is stupid, and it must stop. But guess what? We don't get to blame the people that did it. We have to take the blame ourselves for allowing it to be done. If you want it back, then guys, you have to stand up and be willing to say this stuff and mean this stuff and not back down. And I'm going to tell you that I believe that the age of separation, and there's there's guys that are 50 that are like this, and there's guys that are 20 that aren't, but really it's right around between 28 and 32 years of age right now. Somewhere in that realm, somewhere the people about that age have um, have have really been beat up with this system, and the young men, the fifteen, eighteen, twenty year old kids that are out there today, they're coming up with no concept of what it means to be a man anymore. Some of them might be violent. That's not being a man. That's not being a leader. Some of them might be in gangs and 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 and, and all this other type of stuff, and have this this hardcore attitude or whatever. That's not leadership. Leadership always takes strength and blends it with compassion. If those two don't go together, you don't have leadership. That's bullying. You know, it makes me think of this study that they did about elephants. And when there were certain levels of hunting and pressure and other things that had taken the population of elephants very, very low, and they began to reintroduce elephants to an area. Um, and, and this is why I don't think we should be hunting ele- elephants. I'm a hunter, and I love to hunt, and I just think there's certain creatures that have an intelligence level that should, that maybe they're not, you know, there's no way are they equal to human beings, but we have, should have a respect where this is just not what needs to be done. And an animal that buries its own dead and mourns their loss, we've crossed that line. But there's another thing about elephants and their age and wisdom that, that we didn't discover until these elephants were reintroduced. As elephants begin to grow up and they go through adolescence, um, young males become bigger and stronger than females and younger within their their ranks very, very quickly, and their, their body and their physical capability outgrows their intelligence and their wisdom uh, at, at a very rapid level. Does that sound familiar? Think about 16-, 18-, 19-year-old boys and how quickly they physically grow up and the damage they can do. To people that are are weaker than them. And does their body outgrow their minds? And that's what happens with elephants. And these male elephants literally were going on like rages, enraged, raged murder sprees. They were killing other elephants. They were killing other animals. They were smashing and destroying things. And you know what was missing? Old male elephants. And in the, the 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 older herds that had the patriarchs and the matriarchs the old males and females there were times when the male elephants would literally separate and the males would stay together and the bigger older males would be with the younger males and no one understands they're not like dolphins where they click to communicate with each other they do a lot with touch and a lot of with body language and all but what we we determined was without the uh without the older males the younger males grew up and they were very, very destructive to their own communities. That's elephants. Does that strike you as a little bit odd? Does that does that sound a little too close to home for you? Does that make you start to realize why, when I said today that we were talking about leadership, and leadership was a topic of survival, that, that there's something to it? If that affects an elephant, how does it affect a human being who thinks on a much higher level? who can understand, at a much higher level, abandonment, rejection, and failure in the people that came before him. They can be more resentful. You know, a male elephant doesn't really understand that, uh, that, that what he's looking at, his his his, uh, his deficit as far as food and habitat. He doesn't see any connection or responsibility to the previous generation of elephants. He's not capable of thinking at that level. So what happens to these young males that grow up devoid of leadership, And they end up out in our societies and then they do blame the previous generation. And the previous generation also still seems to be in charge, not just absent. This is where our society, this is where dependence comes from. This is where all of it comes from. And I, I, I don't care if this bends a nose the wrong way because one of the problem men have today is we're afraid to upset anybody, offend anybody, piss anybody off. You know, we don't want to be seen as politically incorrect, we don't want to be labeled as a hater or a sexist or or whatever. We don't want to be labeled as anything. You know? So we won't say what we need to say. So I'm gonna say it today. The only way we're gonna get past this is men must once again be men. And when, and women have to realize they're not men. And again, this is not about one being lesser than the other, because again, men, there are things women can do that we cannot. And there are some strengths women have that we will never have is a general rule. And those differences are there, and that's how a family is freaking composed. Generally, men are tougher and women are more compassionate. I know there's some tough-ass women out there and some sissy-ass men. That's not the general rule, though, is it? And we need, when we're raising a family or when we're running a company, strength and compassion. And the two sides should support each other. And if women are trying to run around acting like men, who's going to provide the compassion? And if women are running around acting like men, where are the real men going to be to actually do what real men are supposed to do? We must acknowledge the difference. We must acknowledge it in our homes and our communities before we even worry about government or corporate America. It all starts with us. Everything I'm talking about today is about you individually in your home and your family and your neighborhood today. It is not about Washington, D.C. It's not about your state capital. It's not even about your county courthouse. It will affect those things if enough people do it, but it all comes down to us as individuals. As I said earlier, the reason I'm talking about this is I firmly believe the survival of our nation, our culture, and our family units at stake. If men don't step up and start being freaking men again. If leaders don't step up and start being leaders. If we don't start having a clear understanding. You know, it's, it's so important to understand that the only way a person can become a leader is to at one time be a follower underneath a good leader. So if you're raising kids... And you want them to go off and be leaders in their own family, leaders in their own community. The only way they're going to get there is for them to be able to emulate your leadership. So if you're if your home is devoid of leadership, even if your kids seem okay, they're not sick, they do get okay grades and whatever, and they you know they don't get in any trouble, they don't know how to lead. Well, let's take this and make this this very specific to the survival podcast. So a disaster happens and you haven't been a leader in your family, you haven't taught leadership, you haven't given your wife, your kids, anybody uh, there anything to emulate in the world, world realm of leadership, and you do know what to do, but when the, when the shit hits the fan, you're not at home, or you're dead. So who's going to step up and lead now? What are they going to emulate? What are they going to follow? What example have you left behind? These are questions we all need to ask ourselves, and the reality is you'll never be as good as you can be, and that's great because it leaves you the ability to be a little bit better every single single stinking day. You know, we send people to Washington, and this is what we say. We want our leaders to go up there and not think about re-election. No, what we want them to do is we want them to look at the hard decisions and make those decisions, and we want them to base those decisions on what's best for us What's best for our children and what's best for our grandchildren and what's best for our nation. And that's what we want them to do. Instead of worried about pandering and being reelected and buying votes. But how many of us then will sit in our homes when we're making a decision and say, how will this affect my kids, my wife? And how will it affect my long-term future? And how will my long-term future affect their long-term future? Will this pass on something to my grandkids? How can you sit and say you don't want your elected officials to conduct business this way if this is how we conduct business in our homes, and it's how we conduct business in our homes? And I know some of you out there getting a little mad because you think I'm put picking on you, and I'm not. If you're not doing these things, but let's think, let's be real about how much of this is going on. How many people out there? Or in their 40s, their kids are just about getting into that college age and ready to go on. And maybe they've even saved money for college. They've helped them get into school. They've provided them everything that they need. But they haven't done the things that they needed to do to make the family financially stable. And they're barely getting by. And then the kids go out and they keep throwing some money toward the kids and they make the kids' life really, really easy, but they're in a financial deficit in their own life. And by like 50, 55, when the kids are finally getting their stride and they're getting into the workplace and they're doing all the stuff that they're supposed to be doing and becoming financially stable themselves, these, these families are going through financial hardship. And they end up on Social Security, you know, at 66 or 70 or whatever. And they, and then eventually there's not enough there. To take care of yourself in your older years, and who do you become a burden to? Now, see, all through your life you think you're doing the best thing for your kids because you're giving them everything that you want, but if you're not building the foundation in your own life... You're going to hit them at the point where they're just getting their kids to the point where they're supposed to be standing, and now your kids and your grandkids have to take care of you. What kind of freaking leadership is that? Seriously, what kind? And and and, and you wonder, right? So people say today, well, what would happen if Social Security fell apart? What would happen if the social safety net fell apart? Why is it such a catastrophe? What did I not just tell you? Why is this not why? Everything would be a complete calamity. You know, if we had to slash Social Security by 25%, what would it do to America? Why would it do it to America, though? Is it that people stop leading and look to someone else for their solution? To me, that's what it is. I actually will tell you this, and some of you may challenge me on it, but you're going to have to be specific if you do. You're going to have to be specific as to how the problem is completely independent from a lack of individual leadership in the family level, in the neighborhood level. I believe that every single problem that we have in America today, every one of them, is either caused or aggravated by a leadership deficit of the individual. I don't care if it's the national debt. I don't care if it's an encroachment on liberty. I don't care if it's shutting down a little girl's lemonade stand. I don't care if it's telling a dying lady she can't s- sell the last of the stuff she owns, like some of the things that we've just witnessed. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's Democrats. I don't care if it's Republicans. I don't care if it's in your state capital. I don't care if it's in your inner city. I don't care where or what it is. Every single problem we have in America today, every single threat to our sovereignty, our freedom, our liberty, and our long-term future comes back on some level to individual leadership. If the individual leadership was there, the problems would not go away. But they would be far more easy to address. They would be far more manageable. They would be far smaller. And we would be able to get our hands around them. And here's the big one. There would be people standing by ready to make a freaking difference as soon as a method to do so was found. Our nation is not falling just because of the Federal Reserve and the President and the Congress. Our nation is falling because its people have turned their back on their individual sense of responsibility. We have gone in just a few decades from ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And we have gone to the point of what can I get? What can you give me? Who will give me the most when I vote? We have gone to a point where one in eight Americans are being given food stamps today. One in eight. If you turned your TV on from about 1960 to 1984, 1985 in that range, and you watched a sitcom or a drama or anything that was about a family unit, somewhere in that series, any single one of them, at multiple times the family was put into stress, and what did the man in the family stand up and say? This family won't take charity. We'll fix it. Where is that? Where is it gone? Can you blame your elected officials for it? Can you just, all of it is their fault or does it, does it come back to us? Have we allowed this erosion and this, this concept of mashing rights and ability together into this, this mosh paws of nonsense? Have we allowed this to progress? To me we have. I also want to explain something about leadership because I'm going to get some of you men really riled up. You're going to go home and do something stupid today. You're going to go home and go, from now on I'm leading this family and I'm going to do what I think we need to do. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And you're going to hear, as your wife hits you in the face and says, you better wake up and apologize. All right, That's not leadership. That's authoritarianism. Author, authoritarianism. That's, that's totalitarianism. That's a dictatorship. That is not how leadership in a family works. Leading is not based on ruling. It's not dictating. It's based on your individual actions. If you think your family is spending recklessly, the first person spending you curtail is your own, and you do more than you're going to ask anybody else to do. That's leadership. Leadership is always taking the action first and doing more than you will ask of the people who follow you. Because that's the only way they're going to follow you. I had times in my career where I was either running a department or running a company, and the board or a a boss or a budget manager or just a person even that I was paying, you know, an accountant, said, there's not enough money. We have a cash shortfall. We are not going to make the next six months of payroll. With Franklin Spirico, that happened a lot. Because we were a new company, and we didn't really know what we were doing when we first started. You know, and I had a great investor, but he also said, Hey, there's only so much going to flow in. We got to manage this. So when someone came to me and said, We have to do pay cuts, the first person's pay I cut was my own, and I cut it by more than anybody else's. That's how you have to run your family. When I was in the military and I was a squad leader, the first thing that we were taught was, Okay, we're out in the field. It's time for chow. Make sure. Damn well, every single member of your squad eats before you do. Make sure they're off the post. If somebody's held up doing something else, you go take over. You you stand guard while they go eat. And after everybody in your squad eats, you go eat. And then you had a platoon leader, platoon sergeant, that would make sure that happened and talk to all his squad leaders, and he made damn sure the squad leaders went and ate first. And then the platoon sergeants would get together and talk about things and eat together. Now that wasn't, um, you know, like some kind of weird apartheid. Like you weren't good enough to eat together. It was that you're in, the, you're on a mission status at that point. You're in the field. There has to be a certain number of people, you know, up and ready to go at any one time. You're in a tactical situation, so at least fifty percent of the force has to be ready to go and on guard and ready to go at any time. So everybody can't go together. So who goes first? The people at the bottom of the command structure. And whose responsibility is it to get them there? The people in leadership positions all the way across the board, and there's a fundamental reality here, and I don't care if it's your house or I don't care if it's a military unit. Um, when you're in the military, you get you get promoted and they give you these stripes and it you know a certain amount of authority with that. And there are certain uh, rules and regulations, Uniform Code of Military Justice, that grant certain authority and certain repercussions if uh, a person's orders are not followed. We don't have that in a family, and thank God. Because you don't get the training that goes with those stripes when you're in the family. So if you had that authority, you would screw it up and you would abuse it. right? But in the military, as you are gaining additional authority, you're taught something. Every single bit of authority that you have over men and women that follow you is granted by those men and women. The rank means nothing apart from their granting of your authority. They'll even tell you to your face, yes sergeant, they'll do what you ask them to do while you're watching them but they won't put hundred and ten percent behind it. They won't take a bullet for you and at the first opportunity if you haven't earned their respect and you haven't had their authority granted to you by them, they will throw you under the bus. And in the military, that can mean getting shot in the back. Or that can be mean being left behind. So you better get it right. Unfortunately, we don't get this kind of leadership training when it comes to running a family, but we should. Because all authority is granted. And every leader must earn their authority. When you have a good leader... If you go to that leader's people, whether it's his family or whether it's the people that work for him in a corporate environment or in the military, if you do anything that detracts from that leader's ability or detracts from their credibility or if you attack them on any level, even minor, the response is immediate and it's harsh. Don't you even. When the leader is willing to take a bullet for his people, the people are willing to take a bullet for the leader. But even when it's true internally, both sides have to know it or it doesn't work. So all of you guys out there that said, I would die for my family. fine, did they know that? And do your actions demonstrate that? Because if they don't, it doesn't it's a nice thought. it might even be true, but it doesn't permeate into the leadership structure within the family. And something I said earlier that I'm going to kind of go into a little deeper now. To be a leader, you must first know how to be led. It's gonna be very difficult for you to be a leader if you've never had a great leader in your life. If you've never had a father or a grandfather that was a real man. That acted like a real man. That really led his family. That really led, uh, his community. That was, that was quick to stand up and say, I'll take on this responsibility. I'll do this. And we don't, none of us like this, but this is what we're gonna do. But I'm gonna give you some hope. I didn't. There really, it really wasn't there for me. Neither grandfather, you know, they were both great guys, but, you know, I guess my grandfather on my mom's side was a pretty good leader, but I didn't get enough exposure to that, uh, to really benefit from it. So, how did I figure this out? Well, the military helped, but it comes down to this. Don't cry me a river in your sob story of what you didn't have. Alright? I just, I don't have any time for it because, you know, I didn't have a great childhood. I didn't have it really easy. I didn't come from a wealthy family. There's a point in time where every person must look inward and say, who is responsible for my life? And if when you say that, if the answer is anything but me, you've got it backwards and you've got it screwed up and you've got to get past that first step. So as soon as you do that, then you start to put things together. And so if you don't have somebody that's ever led you, And you don't have anybody in your life you can see as a mentor. And you don't have that leadership example. And you say, well, who the hell is going to lead me so I can learn to be led? You're going to lead yourself. And that's the first thing and that's the first skill that we probably need to be teaching young men today. Is to lead yourself. To be responsible for yourself. And when you're making a decision for yourself to do it almost third party. To extract yourself from your own life long enough to get some clarity and take away your wants and your desires and think logically and make that decision for yourself. And once you've made that decision, give yourself the order and then go back internal and force yourself to act on the order. If you master that, then you know how to be led. Being led doesn't mean that someone else leads you. It means that you have brains, you have thoughts, you have deeds, you have a sense of morality. There is no such thing as a good leader without a solid sense of morality. And you and I may differ on what is moral on some level, but there's basic morality that permeates every religion, every society, right? That we protect the weak, that we shouldn't harm or steal from others, right? We don't have to be Christian or Jewish or Buddhist or anything, to see this basic moral code. And that's another thing is that we've tried to extract morality from society. Say it's not right for you to tell another person how to live. Well, in some ways, that's a true statement. But when it comes down to, well, there's certain things that we just don't do. If we take that away, we create a cancer in society. And it begins to expand. And what seemed like a good guidance in the beginning becomes a very radical guidance long term as it permeates and everybody twists it by their own way. There needs to be a moral code that we can all agree upon and we haven't come so far that we don't know what it is. We all still know exactly what it is. We just need to start saying it again and more importantly we need to start acting on it again. Now if we were teaching this to every young man in America today, if they were learning this in their teens If someone was holding them accountable to it, if the men in our society from young 20-somethings to to older 70, 80-somethings started talking like this, started acting like this, started behaving the way they did in the 1930s when this nation was going through the Great Depression, how many of our problems would go away? How many of the threats to our survival would go away? Well, I'm here to tell you there's nothing you or I can do to wave our hands overnight and make people start thinking like this. But the one thing we can start doing now is acting like it. Each individual can start acting like it. Because here's the amazing thing about real leadership. It creates more leaders. When you lead, you create leaders. You are a self-replicating component in a system. You cannot be a leader without creating other leaders. It's impossible. Because when people actually see somebody behaving in a morally upstanding way and doing what's right, they naturally follow. Now, what do you need if you want... What did I teach you today? What do you need if you are ever to become a great leader? You need to know how to be led. The very act of leading creates followers. Those followers, because they're not following a weak leader... They're not just doing what they're supposed to because they were told to, but they're following because they have willingly submitted authority onto that leader. They trust that leader. They are going to emulate the actions of the leader when the leader is absent. No two people are together 24-7, 365, nor should they be. You have to have time apart from even the person you love the most, or you will go crazy with each other. So at some point, no matter how strong you are as a leader, the people you're leading will not be with you. And what will they do? The same thing our children do. They will emulate our actions. They will come to a point and they will think to themselves, I don't know what to do here. And they'll look behind them and other people are waiting for them to make a choice. They'll look ahead and you're gone. So then they're going to have to make a choice. I had a great sergeant that taught me this. He said to me, Spirko, the people that follow you don't follow you. So that when you get to a point where you don't know what to do, You'll play it safe and just wait for somebody else to make the choice. They follow you because they trust you to make the best decision you can. And as long as you do that, they will keep following you. They will follow you into a hail of bullets if you make the decision and do what's right. And if when you screw it up, you realize you screwed up and you immediately figure out what to do next and you make another decision, as long as you keep making choices... As long as you keep making choices, your men will follow you. The minute you can't make a decision, you're lucky that you're in the military because everybody else has been trained this way. Someone will step up and do it from underneath you and become the leader. But one day you're going to leave this place because you're not cut out for 20 years. And there's not going to be someone to do that in most of civilian life, so make sure you learn how to do it now. Wise words. Probably worth the three years I put in the army just to have that one conversation with that one sergeant. And it's very, very valuable. And if you learn that, you can be a good leader. I want to tell you a story now um, that I heard a long time ago. And I believe it was a preacher that told this story. I'm not sure. But I, I don't really care where my sources come from as long as I'm not robbing them and acknowledge it came from somewhere else. But it's a story of... Two communities. Two communities based on, uh, herding sheep. Two, two shepherd communities. And these two communities were actually presided over by, by a a common king. I don't know if the king was the word, maybe it was a, you know, a sheik or whatever, but, um, and the two communities could actually be seen from this, this, this plateau that the, the, uh, that the leader lived on. And the leader had a young son who was teaching about leadership. And as they stood on their plateau, and they could see for miles around, you could see down to one community and out to the other community. He pointed to the one community, and he said, over in that community, the people live okay. But their herds are not really healthy. They're not really vibrant. They don't produce as many young. And some of the young are sick, and they don't survive. And uh, the milk is not quite as sweet, and the wool is not quite as lush. They're doing okay. You know, they're doing okay, and they're getting by. But they're not... What I'm really proud of in our community, they're not really thriving. And and the, the young son said, okay, well, what can we do? He goes, well, we can just look to this other community over here. And they looked off, and he said, over where these folks live, their sheep produce the finest wool in our entire region. People traveled here just to get it. The milk is sweet. The cheese made from the milk is wonderful. They have high birth weights. They have high survival rates. This is, this is what I want my whole realm to be like, like what these people are doing here. And the young man says to his father, well, what is the difference? Is the grass better? Is the sun better? Is there more water? He said the, the, the two regions can be seen from each other. They're basically the same. And, and, the, and the kid says, well, what, what what is the difference? He says, over here, where things are not quite the way that they should be, the shepherds, when they take their their sheep out to the flocks, they walk behind them with their staffs and they smack them and they push them and they drive them. And they drive them to where they need to go. They drive them to be fed. They drive them to be watered. they drive, And they protect them from predators. They make sure that they're fed. They make sure that they're watered. But they're always pushing and driving. Over here in this other community, when the shepherds take their flocks out, they walk in front of them and the sheep follow them. And that's the only difference. That's it. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but the lesson is. And I can tell you from my life and witnessing multiple leaders, people that thought they were in charge because of a position or a title or someone placed them there, and I've watched entire departments crumble under a leader like that. I've watched an entire company crumble under a guy that thought he was in charge because he bought the company his people bought the company. I worked for a company called Stage Telecom. The guy, the people walk in, they they you know kind of basically finagle the situation where they pick the buyer and they've already wrapped the buyer into letting them manage it. They were supposed to just basically oversee the selling process and they they put themselves in the middle. The first thing they did was bring everybody together and made, the guy stood up and made a statement. When we take over and run companies, we find there's two kinds of people. There are people that see things our way, and they tend to stick around, and there are people that don't see things our way, and they don't tend to stick around. And the company crumbled underneath them, and all the leaders in the company left. One was me, and I went off and started working with my old partner, Neil Franklin. One was a guy who was now the VP of Marketing for La Quinta, and before that he was the VP of Marketing for Virgin American Airlines. Another one works for Accenture. I mean, these folks went off and they took big positions or done things for themselves everywhere. All that leadership just walked away. Do you want me to tell you what happened, what was unique about that company, why I was attracted to it and willing to work there in the first place? When I went up there the first time, there were these big shadow boxes on all the walls. They were all over the place. And in those shadow boxes were things like pictures of children being christened, uh medals for for, you know, uh either the kids or themselves for running or uh gymnastics, there were, you know, baseballs with a signature that were caught at a baseball game. There were all of these things that were very, very personal. And they were all over the walls. And they had people's names on them. And I said to the the chief marketing officer, the lady that was trying to recruit me to work there, "What is this?" She said, "After you're here a year, The company pays to have one of these built for you. You bring in everything you want in it, and they'll put the stuff in there, and then they close it up and they hang it on the wall. And whenever you decide to leave, they give you your box and you take it with you. And I thought that was really neat. Well, it was the first thing I saw when I walked in that building before I had even had a job offer. I was just up there to discuss some things with them. Actually, she was a client that went to that company and I said, you don't leave me, I'll go after you. Your your new company is going to be my client too. So I went up there to get business and she flipped it around to a recruitment thing. But the first thing I saw were those boxes. I don't think the people that ended up in control of the company that had it crumble underneath them ever looked at them, ever asked a question about them and ever understood them. The reality was the culture of that company was built such that, think about this, if you display... Things that are that personal about you in your workplace, not even on your desk on a wall framed with your name on it. How comfortable are you with the people around you? So what happened when these people took over? What happened when they started dictating the situation instead of earning the respect of the people that they'd come to take over? Well, everybody started talking to each other. And everybody passed on every bit of information that they had and knew what the real agenda was. And very, very quickly the staff determined they need us more than we need them, and that means we don't need them at all. And everybody that was there that had real talent and real ability was gone within three months. They weren't forced out, they walked away. After a first couple walked away, they started throwing money trying to get us to stay. When I left, a guy's like, Well, what do you need? What, do you, what can I do for you? How can I, I stop? You know, can we, you know, 20% or you want some equity? Uh, we see you as a leader long term here. We'd love, sorry, I don't need, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. And that's what happens when people take leadership as a mandate, as a dictate, just simply because you have the position, you have the title. So when you're going to lead in your family, you have to understand that. You have to understand, just because I've said today that I think that the man has to step up as the main primary leader in the family unit, you have to earn the respect and the, and you have to have your family grant the authority to you. And if you haven't done a good job up till now, they're not going to do it tomorrow morning. You're going to have to lead by example. You're going to have to start with what I said earlier. You're going to have to lead yourself first. This also brings me to another very important point. Any good leader knows that he or she can't do everything, absolutely knows they can't do everything. And this is not just about delegation, because uh, delegation can be, well, I'm not really good at drawing, so I have somebody on my staff that I'm going to have make up uh, the diagrams for the presentation. That's a sh- sheer delegation, right? That's that's I'm taking my authority and I'm using it to get you to do something else. Good leaders actually just step out of the way and let other people lead in certain aspects. So no, instead of saying, Hey, you do the drawings and I'll present them. Well, if he's this guy's really good at doing the drawings, maybe he should do the concept of the drawings. Maybe he should present them. Maybe he should put his own team together. Maybe I just need to step the hell out of the way. And maybe I'm paying attention. I'm providing oversight because I'm ultimately responsible, but I'm going to allow that freedom there. We well, you got to do that in your own families, right? If you may, I don't care that you're the leader. If you're the guy with the spending problem, put your wife in charge of the checkbook and freaking listen to her because you're the one with the problem. If she's the one with the problem, then delicately you got to explain the problem and take it the hell away, but you better be figuring out how to put it back. This whole crap, anybody that's out there right now, you have this arrangement in your marriage, you have your checking account and he has his checking account or vice versa, you all have your own money. And everything's separate? I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. I really don't. Right? Because if something happens to the family, what are you gonna do? Hey, can I have a loan? If you lose your job, hey, can can you give me a loan this month to get by? That's bullshit. A family's supposed to be a partnership. Right? It's not a, it's not, you know, an independent contractor arrangement where both of you have your own roles and responsibilities. It's, it's a merger. So get off of that crap right away, but understand, you can't do everything, and there's places where I don't care if you're the man, I don't care if you're the woman, I don't care if you're the kid, I don't care if you're the parent, I don't care if you're the grandparent, there's places where the other people in the family or in the community are going to be stronger than you and in those areas, encourage them to lead and then shut up and follow. Because remember what your primary responsibility of a leader is, to make more leaders. If you know how to lead, you know how to follow. So teach your fellow leaders how to lead by occasionally frickin' following them. See, that's equal rights without as you know, asserting equal ability into the equation. The day we started having this problem was the day men started putting frickin' product in their hair. Alright? When we started gelling up our hair and spiking it and trying to be, uh, and, and, and exfoliating our skin for God's sakes. Right? When men started willingly using, you know, dove cream, that's where we started to get into this problem. You're a guy. Alright? You stink worse than women. You're supposed to. You're stronger than women in general. You're supposed to be. You have a certain role that you're supposed to serve. Stand up and do it. All of us need to stand up and do it. And there has to be some other things that temper this. There's three attributes that you simply cannot be a leader if you don't have. Number one, you must be determined. You must be a determined person. You must be willing to make sacrifice, and you must be willing to call on others to make sacrifice when called for. You must be able to define a goal and understand that it's an important goal that has to be met, and once that happens, you have to set a course like a ship, and you are freaking going to go there. If there's an iceberg in the way, you're going to make a course correction and go around it, but you're not turning around and going back. You're going to be freaking determined. Two, you must be strong. If you do not have internal strength when you're challenged to stand up and say, you can challenge me all you want, we're still going to be determined and we're still going to go. If you don't have the strength to take insults, if you don't have the strength to stand up in the face of adversity, if you don't have the strength physically, mentally, emotionally, if you don't have the strength to stand, you can't lead. Because the first time you're challenged, your determination will fall, your strength will fall, and there'll be no one to follow because you won't be going anywhere because you'll become paralyzed. But determination and strength are useless unless you have the third attribute, which is the most important attribute and the one least assigned to leadership by people that, that just want that strong, tough, you've got to go, It's compassion. Devoid of compassion, there is no leadership. Without compassion, you'll make the sacrifices, you'll push, you'll drive, but you'll be like the shepherds behind the sheep whacking them with the with the stick. You want them to eat, but it's for you. You don't want them to die, so you want them to be there so you can get the wool and the meat. This is how our leaders in Washington lead today. They'll push people. All this social programming crap, you know what it's for? It's to compartmentalize, to box, and to move. And it's not, I hate the sheep. It's, I want the sheep to do these things. And I think the only way to get them to do it is to shove them in there. Well, there's no compassion in that. That's a self-centered leadership. Compassion is, I want the sheep to know where the food is because they're sheep and they know how to eat. If If I go there and they follow me, they'll figure it out. It's the soft hand of leadership. It's the guiding hand versus the forcing hand of leadership. It's leadership by example. It's, I'm not doing this because it's what I want. I'm doing it because it's what's best for all. I'm willing to sacrifice and give up what I want for others. That's leadership. Without that, we don't have it. We have nothing. We have bullying. So, as I said, I know today's show may have not been what you were expecting, especially on a Thursday. It's coming out of, uh, you know, talking about agriculture and water and stuff like that, but it may be the most important component. Um, to our survival as a country and to our survival as a people, and if we look at other nations who have basically followed this path that are ahead of us, that started down this path before us, a lot of nations in Europe, you see it's even worse. And folks, when you look at some place where it's worse, and you're go and you are where they were 20 years ago, you're going to be where they are 20 years from now if you stay the course. That's the whole, you know, study the history, shit. study the future, look at the people around you who started doing what you're doing 20 years ago. If they're in a place you want to be, keep doing it. If they're in a place you don't want to be, stop doing it. So do we want to be where France is 20 years from now? Do we want to be where the U.K. is 20 years from now? Do we want to be there? I don't. I really don't. I doubt many of you do either. I doubt many people right now want to be there. And if you could see where they're going to be in 20 years, you'd really not want to be there. And I I think it might be too late to change all of this course, but we can change some of it. And when the whole thing crashes down, I don't want to ask the question then, where have all the leaders gone? I want leaders ready to stand up and do something about it. So this absolutely is about survival. It's about survival for you. It's about survival for your family. It's about survival for your children and your grandchildren. And it's about their survival long after you've gone. Because we're all mortal. We all came here with a clock. And that clock is going tick, 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 tick. And it's going in reverse. It's counting down. For some of us, the clock is very long. It's 105 years or more. For some of us, the clock is 90 years. For some of us, the clock is 80 years. Take a walk through a cemetery. For some of us, the clock is 20 years or less. No one is going to show you your clock. And if they ever do, it's going to be a dark day when a doctor does it for you because you have a terminal illness. It doesn't matter how long you live. The clock is winding down for all of us. And that means that when you're gone... What you leave behind is based 100% on your leadership or failure to lead. And I know I've come down on men a lot today, but this applies equally to men and women. Every single piece of advice I gave that I addressed to men today can be addressed to women as well. Women need to lead too. We have different ways that we lead. We have different strengths and we need to build on each other. But when it comes to who's really fallen down in the last 50 years in America and allowed this crap to happen, it's men so it's up to you guys stand up stand up be responsible and if you've never been led well and you're not sure where to start start by leading yourself with that this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't Seeing our food these days you know it's on our TVs sometimes we forget Here we